This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Inside Carolina Day After podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, responsible by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. I've come to know this podcast as a place where we all gather some days to have fun, some days to not have fun. Again, I'm Tommy. We're Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Jason Staples at the bottom and Mr. Buck Sanders live, live and in person in Charlotte still. Buck, um, I'll go ahead and get it out of the way. I, we could just play Taylor's take on loop and go get some morning coffee. Taylor Vipolis bringing the heat on his uh, take. Now posted on the message boards, but what'd you think? Not about the take about the game. <laughs> that take was almost as spicy as Taylor's in my conversation earlier this week. So, <laughs> oh, let me just start by saying I thought it was a great atmosphere in uh, in Charlotte yesterday. I think the North Carolina fans responded very well. Good representation from the uh, Tar Heel faithful. And they were there ready to see uh, North Carolina, you know, compete and take this game, you know, to, at least to the wire. Um, and that didn't happen. The, I said before the game um, that North Carolina could not um, come out on the wrong end of the turnover margin, and they did in a big way. Um, they gave up 15 points on turnovers. Uh, the, just everything that could go wrong after about the first five minutes did go wrong. So uh, it's uh, a day for crying in your beer if you're a Tar Heel fan. Uh, things just went sideways quickly after that first quarter and uh, never got back on track. There's a lot to, uh, to talk about, actually. But uh, my heart goes out to all the Tar Heel fans that were there in Charlotte showing up to uh, support their team and to have a performance like that. Yeah, I mean, the way you started, let me expound on it a little bit. We, of course, did that Inside Carolina tailgate show over there at 1200 South Graham. And what an atmosphere, man. I, I mean, people want to bang on North Carolina fans. One thing you can't bang on is the inside Carolina portion of the North Carolina fans, uh, which is what made earlier this week a little interesting to me. It's some press conferences, but inside Carolina and Carolina fans in general showed up to support that team. The bowl, uh, the bowl's lot. The, the parking lot over there was wide open. Ryan Switzer joined us. I mean, he looked like um, – Jesus walking around with everybody following him around out there, um, like the Pied Piper, to get some time with him. So what a great, like you said, atmosphere in Charlotte. And then the game started. And the game started well for North Carolina. DJU started for Clemson, Jason, and looked terrible right out the gate. Um, And North Carolina did some things early. Jason, overall thoughts, because we got a lot to dig into and dissect. I feel like we're going to biology class this morning. We're going to dissect this one. Jason, what you got to start with? Well, I mean, it looked like North Carolina came in really well prepared for the first couple drives of the game. That's, yep. And that was it, yeah. And <laughs> it appears, I mean, look, I mean – they they were soup they were they were well prepared to handle uh the way DJ had been playing. And I mean 
what can you say they switch quarterbacks and i mean how can you be prepared for two quarterbacks or you know for somebody to actually make make throws and things like that i mean once there's another guy that comes in i mean that just that's going to kind of screw up all your preparation and that's that so i mean what can you do they they switch quarterbacks and you know that's what can it was you do? a little bit I mean, it, it was a little bit i'm not sure well. are they allowed to do that it was a little bit more well known than what they've played against the last two weeks so huh yeah i mean but i mean where was he ranked last year in high school? Uh, well, depends on if you look at the overall or or uh, just dual threat. Dual threat number one, overall number two, hmm. and those were those were at, uh, those are pretty accurate accurate rankings. But I mean, let's let's be honest. Uh, they 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 made a quarterback switch right away, and I mean, I, like I said, I'm not sure. We got to check the rule book to see whether or not that's okay. <laughs> but um, they they just. That 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 kind of submarined all of Carolina's plans, and there you go. I mean, yeah, it's one. They win this game if if DJU plays the entire game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if he plays the entire game and plays like the first couple drives, then you know they win this game and they win it comfortably. And you know that, that you got to give the coaching staff a lot of credit for being for being prepared for uh for the for for the one quarterback who uh, wasn't wasn't throwing it well. But you know, like I said, it's it's really hard to be prepared for for that second guy when they're going to put him in and all that so let's uh let's sort of but since we're here let's talk about this max said in post game they didn't prepare for club nick and now i know some of that is coach speak um and said gray the interview i got to listen to this morning um and, and admit quite bleary eyed doing it um he said they did you know and they had some stuff but I mean, not enough, not enough. Dabo Sweeney said all week, and this is people can bang on Dabo all they want. And he comes across as old shucks and all that, but he is ruthless. He talked about they're going to play DJU. They're going to play DJU. That's our game. Their guy. They did it against South Carolina. It cost them the game. Playing him and sticking with him probably cost them playoff without question um, all season. No way in the world was he going to cost himself an ACC championship by sticking with that guy. But that comment from the head man in itself is brutal. Combined with what we've seen with all the other stuff, with the backup quarterbacks and all that, where where are we here assessing this North Carolina coaching performance right out the gate? Because Taylor Vip was pulled no punches. Buck, well, I, I want your take, and then we'll get into the game itself. Two things that I would point out related to uh, Clemson's offense. One is yards after catch. I was going there. You, you beat me there. <laughs> it, through the air, uh, Club Nick threw the ball 81 yards. They had 236 yards after catch. Mm. You're, you're not going to beat too many teams that way. He wasn't, he wasn't bombing downfield. He, you know, and his, his completion percentage shows it. You, you don't hit 20 out of 24 over 80% if, if you're trying to uh, drop the ball in a bucket 40 yards downfield. That doesn't happen. He was throwing it for the most short, most part, short and intermediate. And uh, North Carolina just could not get anybody on the ground after the catch. They just got torched by Clemson's runners or receivers after the after the catch. Point number two would be zero sacks, zero quarterback hurries. How much pressure do you think Clubnet felt? when nobody got close enough to him to have a quarterback hurry. Not sacked. And they had, this is uh, not directly related to the pass attack, but they only had two tackles for loss. Meanwhile, Clemson's offense, or Clemson's defense, had four sacks, eight quarterback hurries, and uh, seven tackles for loss. Clemson was getting pressure on North Carolina and North Carolina was getting no pressure on their offense. Yeah. Pro football so, focus has Clubnick pressured on eight snaps. 
The official stats have got zero. Yeah, which that's, zero that's, quarterback hurries and. Yeah. But eight is a, a very low number. Eight is a very low number. That's uh, you know, a little higher than Clemson had given up most of the year. But that that partly was because of him holding the football, and it didn't seem to matter. And you know, their standard for for pressure is basically just anything that that impacts like the quarterback's process. So I mean, that's barely that that's not much. That's a low standard. And he, by the way, was uh, eighty three percent completion percentage there. Yeah. <laughs> Zero sacks, zero quarterback hurries. So, uh, I don't know. Tommy could, Mike could have thrown for 250 and three. Um, back in my day, I could have, without question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but back in your day, you could throw that football over them mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, but that, that leads that, me to the point. The trenches, Carolina whipped across the lines, both lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we can talk about, uh, uh, Cade club, Nick, all we want to, but if, if you don't get pressure on the quarterback at all, uh, and you're not, you can't tackle anybody after the catch the ball, <laughs> anybody is going to look good. Anybody is going to look good. I'm sure they have a four string quarterback. They could have put him in. They did there. They put the third stringer in there near the end. Who, by the way, was the former number one ranked quarterback in the country when he came out, what, five years ago, six years ago. And he went five for five, right? Yep. I mean, uh, in order to limit a quarterback, you've got to have some form of defense. You've got (laughs) – you gotta be you gotta be able to get somebody on the ground, and you gotta get some pressure on the guy. So, uh, congratulations uh, to women for winning the uh, you know the ACC title to as a quarterback for Clay Klubnik. But gosh almighty, uh, North Carolina could not have made it any easier on him than than they did. Yeah, Jason, let, let's let's go there. Um, and I don't know. I feel like I'm beating somebody's dead horse to do it. I mean, they've asked about the media, the press, the fans have all asked about pressure. What did Carolina do in this game any differently than they've done all game? That's why I like to come to you because in my eyes, especially from the stands, great seats, by the way. I love that view we had. And shout out to the section that was pretty rowdy. Too many Clemson fans, but – No, let me tell a story. I always have a story. My favorite part of the night is having a Miami football fan sitting behind me being apologetic because Clemson was working North Carolina. And he'd never seen Miami play in person other than one time, and that was because he buys tickets to the ACC championship game every year. And that's the only time he'd seen his, quote, favorite team play in person. I digress. Jason, Gene Chizik's defense, what'd they do – tonight or Saturday night that they didn't do or maybe they have done all year other than not get pressure and not get hurries and not get sacks. Well, I don't think they did a whole lot that was any that's really any different. I mean, the fact is once you get to this stage of the year defensively, you kind of are what you are. I mean, you, you can't install a bunch of new stuff, you know, week 12, week 13 in a season. You're just not you're not doing a lot of that. Uh, they had a couple a couple pressure packages, you know, in there, but it, 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 to me, it looked like a normal, normal game plan from them. Uh, you know, not n- nothing really extra that they brought in. You know, probably they probably came in with four or five uh, significant blitz uh, blitz packages, and then you know ran a lot of cover seven, uh, rotated to some other stuff at different points, some some man and uh, uh, and. Uh, two man and, and, and a little bit of two, uh, they, you know, they ran, they ran some basic stuff. They ran, uh, they ran some rip Liz at different points as well, which is a middle of the field close where you got a single safety. They ran some of that to try to get some, uh, get some pressure a few times where you bring that safety down, that other safety down a little bit. Uh, you know, they varied their coverages. They varied their looks, tried to bring some pressure, but, uh, ultimately you have to do it. 
And, you know, in terms of schematically, I mean, the scheme, the scheme on defense is not the problem, right? I mean, what, what I heard Buck saying is, you know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Buck, but it seemed to be that you were indicating that, you know, basics like, I don't know, tackling, uh, physicality, things like that, uh, actually have impact on whether a team wins a game. Absolutely. If I could jump in here for a second. Clemson did not run the ball well no. against North Carolina. North Carolina did a fairly decent job uh, stopping the run. What uh, I don't know what the, the justice yardage 3. was. 3.2 yards but, per carry. Yeah. They, uh, you know, for all we heard about Will Shipley and how he was going to torch the, uh, the defense on the ground, that didn't happen. But the point of that is that they didn't need to run the ball because all they had to do was throw it, you know, two yards and you got a 20 yard gain. Uh, I didn't do the math on it, but they had 28 completions and 230 some yards, uh, yards after catch. What is that? Eight or nine yards after the catch on every single throw on average. Mm -hmm. you know, so, why bother running the ball in that scenario? I, I will say that I thought uh, Jacoby Cohen looked good. He only had one tackle, but when when they used him when he was in the game, I thought uh, he stood out to me. There's and, some promise there. There's some promise there. So we'll see. Uh, but yeah, defensively, you got to do something. You know, if you. If, if, if Clemson could just throw the ball, you know, for get eight yards after catch on 28 catch, North Carolina only had one less completion than they did. They, they only, they had 27 completions, North Carolina did, but they only had something like 113 yards or so after catch. Uh, so mathematically, there's your ball game right there. Um, but back to our regularly scheduled Jason Staples explanation here. I mean, I, I think that's basically the, where I was going is, you, you know, the, the, I will say, I mean, they, they made a transition, what game four, game five, where they decided that they were going to, they were going to emphasize trying to stop the run and at least stop one thing. Yes. You, you know, Mac has talked about this. Uh, and you could see that, 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 that some of the stuff that they're doing uh, that they did sort of second half of the season was very much, well, we, if we go too high and we play, you know, standard Gene Chiswick defense, we're just going to get shelled in the secondary and we're going to give up, you know, 200 rushing yards a game. So we're just going to stop the run and force teams to beat us in the air and, you know, at least, at least do one thing, make them beat us one dimensionally. And, Clemson in terms of their running game. I mean, they did that. They, they basically said, okay, well, we know what you're doing. Thanks. We'll, we'll beat you one dimensionally. No problem. Uh, and you know, that, uh, that, that basically is, it, you know, if you, you look at what they did schematically, it was, it was stuff where, like I said, they're playing some cover seven. They did some rip Liz on some longer yardage uh, and basically trying to, to handle the stuff in the box so that they wouldn't give up, the, the running game I will say in power running situations so third and short that sort of thing uh Clemson was okay in the running game they did okay they were three out of four there so you know it's not like they got stuffed in the running game a bunch uh, they were stuffed on 24 percent of their runs they stuffed on five runs so I mean that's not too bad uh keep but, in mind Jason Running backs for or anybody for Clemson, they only had 21 carries. Yeah, yeah, they didn't. Seven of those were club Nick. Yeah, they Maybe didn't really try to scrambles. run scrambles. So you're really looking at 14 um, carries. They had legitimate hand, you know, handoffs or less to uh, the running backs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that I mean, you had Will Shipley seven carries. Yeah, uh, Mafa two carries. Pace three carry, and that you know that's their fourth string running back got the most got the second most carries out of or uh, yeah second most carries out of their backs, 
So, I mean, yeah, they, they didn't try to run it because they, they came in knowing that Carolina was going to, going to do what they did there. And they knew that basically you can do what you want against Carolina secondary at this point. Uh, so, and, and actually I thought a couple of the young guys looked promising. I mean, I thought Marcus Allen played well, uh, you know, he took one gamble that, that cost him and that up, up to the, the, uh, uh, yards after catch by about 40 yards, but you know, he was pretty close on that one, actually. I mean, yeah, it was one where you know, if he's a just a beat earlier, that's a pick six, but it's a good throw by the by the uh, quarterback and all that, and he's learning the speed. But all in all, uh, the big issue that got exposed here is in to me, and I'm gonna let's think about this from from a, from a couple different ways. I, I can guarantee you that what we're going to hear is that North Carolina just needs to get better players, that they need to continue to recruit to get to the level of Clemson. That's what we're going to hear. That's going to be the offseason. That's going to be the continued mantra around the North Carolina program. What my eyes saw was a North Carolina team that was pretty close to as talented as Clemson. In fact, on the offensive side, North Carolina is more talented than Clemson this year. What we saw was a development and a culture problem emerging yet again against a, against a program that has developed players and has had a strong culture, even though there have been some, some fractures in that a little bit this year, some culture things that are different. That Clemson team knows how to win because they know how to practice. That's, that's what that program has done. They know how to practice. They practice hard. I've been at their practices. They practice hard. They practice situationally. And they make sure that that defense is taken care of on the offensive side and that the offense is served on the defensive side. And they work to establish a physical culture where guys play hard, where the, where the defense tackles to the ground. I mean, this is the thing. Look at not just Clemson's yards after catch, but North Carolina's. North Carolina had 119 yards after catch on how many? How many uh, 27. On, 27. On 27 catches. So there's your four or less. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the thing is Clemson tackled. Over and over again. And you could see Carolina's skill guys getting a little frustrated at times. I mean, Josh Downs on multiple uh, opportunities was just in the grass, just just about ready to break out and then goes down. And you could see him slapping the ground a few times like, dang it, I had it. Just that close. Antoine Green running away from a, you know, from a uh, from a defensive back and getting ready to make a, a, a third and long conversion and gets just tackled from behind one yard short and then there's a a false start and now all of a sudden you have to punt that's the difference is when it came time for uh, what's the pg version of this uh for uh, for for crunch time (laughs) (laughs) when it came time for when, when it came to crunch time for a guy to have to make a play to stop a drive to make sure that a guy got on the ground and didn't make a big play out of something to get, get a little bit of extra effort to get to the quarterback. Clemson consistently does those things and they do those things with good technique. With North Carolina, I see a lot of highly recruited guys that look good in pads that have been trained well in the weight room. They're strong. They, they, they move really well who do not do those things on a consistent basis or a consistent enough basis. And this is what I've been saying all year. This is what some of us, I mean, Taylor's been saying this all year too. This is not new. This is not new criticism based on, on losing. I mean, this is stuff that we were saying when North Carolina was winning early in the year. And I remember some folks who were were listening to this, we're not real happy with some of us for, for, for calling some of this stuff out then saying, look, we're, we're winning, we're winning. And my mantra was, look, eventually process is going to out. Eventually the way you do things and the way you won 
eventually when you step up to play against better teams that have as good of players as you, then that stuff's going to start to matter. And North Carolina has, has now recruited to the level where they can win on the basis of talent up to a point. But at a certain point, you have to develop that talent so that when you play against teams that have comparable talent, you actually look decent. And that's not where they are right now. They're, they're good enough that they can win, say, nine out of ten games against outmatched opponents in terms of, of talent. But there, there are always going to be those two or three games every season where you're going to play against a team that has comparable talent to you. And they're not going to win those games right now. And frankly, without Drake May, they're not competitive in those games. Even in this one with Drake May, the competitiveness only lasted a while. But without Drake May this season, even with that talent advantage, what do, what do we think they are? <laughs> are they six and six? Mm-mm. Well, you consider the fact that they had six or seven one score games. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had eight one or eight one score games and won six of them. Yeah. Without Drake oh. May, do they win half of those? Best case, I'd say. Yeah. Say best case. So you're looking at six and six. Yeah. And so this, the problem that I see is you can't recruit your way out of a development problem. You can't recruit your way out of a culture problem in terms of talent. At some point, You've got to actually have things set up so that your program is is built around toughness and fundamentals with the talent that you bring in. And they're just there are places on this team where you can see the fundamentals getting better. The offensive line got a lot better on fundamentals this year. They did. And you can see the results. And they they ran the football okay yesterday i mean it was they it was basically even with how clemson ran it so i mean not the best but you know the uh, 3.1 yards per carry from elijah green i mean that's not great but it's you know in a in a big game against that front that's not bad so you know offensive line got better on fundamentals there there are some positions that do fine that are that are getting their fundamentals but as a whole this program has to take a serious look in the mirror of how it practices on both sides of the ball. Not, this is not just a defensive problem. This is not just a defensive uh, uh, position coach problem, even though I've stated my piece on some of that stuff as well. This is top down. How do you practice? This is DNA of the program stuff. Yep. hundred percent. You know, we say all the time, you get what you allow. And it always comes up that way. I'll tell you something that was interesting to me. And I said the same thing, I think, in the bowl game against South Carolina when pretty much the same type outcome was coming. The fourth quarter video, I know this might be petty fan stuff, but the fourth quarter video for South Carolina had them boys working, busting their tail, practice video, just going at it. But did you see Clemson's fourth quarter video last night? No, I wasn't paying attention. It was, you know, Carolina's got their usual, you don't want none. Clemson's balls-to-the-wall practice, hitting in practice, doing all this, sweating and all that. I just think it's a whole different cultural mindset. It's like one's going to have our highlights from years past. The other's going to have our team working to get better and all. And it was impressive. I was like, this is – this makes me want to go run out there and concuss myself trying to hit somebody. Championship <laughs> teams embrace the grind. They embrace the practice. They embrace the day to day, and they just happen to they just happen to win games along the way. That's what yeah. championship teams do. They embrace that part of it, and they 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 stake their identity on that part of it. And North Carolina hasn't done that. You can see it. Well, and it's uh, you know. And it's not a knock on – players got to step up and do some things sometimes, it's but it's not a knock on the players at all. I mean, they've got plenty of talent, a lot more talent. Um, of course, we'll hear that they won nine games this year. And, yeah, they did. But how many games did they win where nobody thought they had a chance or 
there was an equal talent like you talked about, Jason, and none of those did they win. Clemson 39-10. Let's talk about Johnny T-shirt. We're going to come back and talk some specifics. There's a lot of questions in the chat. I'm not going to be on here all day. I got to get a nap. I can't lie to you. But Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com, somebody in the tailgate said they could recite my read verbatim from listening to these podcasts all the time. The problem is I don't even know what I'm going to say half the time. So if they can help me out and write me one, that'd be wonderful. But Johnny T-shirt takes care of Inside Carolina Premium subscribers, takes care of everybody that's a Carolina fan across the sports. You got a women's soccer team playing for a national championship, I believe Monday night. Johnny T-shirt can hook you up there. Johnny T-shirt can get you all the winter wear that you need. Great T-shirts, NIL stuff. NIL stuff is relevant. It will be relevant starting tomorrow heavily. But support Johnny T-shirt. Get your 10% off your premium subscription or get your 10% off your order with your premium inside Carolina subscription. Props to the 227 plus that are in here. We'll be right back. National guys, pay the bills. It's the day after. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, Buck, uh, you recited some stats. This is the day after Inside Carolina's premier game day, post-game day podcast. North Carolina in red zone, again, same issues. I believe in a column that's about to drop, you call it a dead zone. What in the world has happened to this team in the last three weeks (laughs) where they cannot – stop stepping on themselves in the red zone and last night was absolutely brutal to watch yeah and i I crunched the numbers a little bit from the last three games and in the last three games basically they scored on 50 percent of their red zone trips which is atrocious that's your scoring uh percentage then they scored a touchdown on essentially a third of their trips into the red zone. Think about that. They've got to the inside the 20 17 times and scored six touchdowns in the last three games. And everybody here knows, and everybody probably uh, listening to this or seeing this knows that I'm a pretty big fan of Phil Longo, but he's got to own some of that. Some of that is play calling. It can't all be execution at this stage of the, of the year. They should know how to execute whatever plays that, that field dials up. Uh, if they fail to do that and against better defenses, that's going to happen occasionally. But over a three-game stretch, you're only getting in the uh, – scoring a touchdown uh, after receive, after getting in the red zone on a third of your red zone attempts. That is abysmal red zone production. And uh, I know that uh, Mac Brown is going to have some a lot to say about that, and he's going to be talking about that a lot because one thing he's not shy about is criticizing Phil Longo in the offense. But some of that, Maybe uh, almost all of it is justified. What they've been doing the last three weeks, how that's changed, or whether defenses have just, defensive coordinators have figured out, hey, this is what you do in the red zone, so we're going to stop you from doing that. Then, uh, you know, something's got to change there. And, and 
Phil Longo in the in his first couple several seasons here did have some red zone issues. We all knew that. But this year, through 10 games, we thought he had that saved, solved. He was just uh, tearing it up in the red zone. Last three games, it's like they've dropped anchor every time they've crossed a 20-yard line. Um, how to explain that, I don't know. I'm not privileged to that kind of inside knowledge, but um, it's definitely a, a huge problem. Jason, we've talked about once it gets down there, it's physicality and all that, but you got to figure out a way to do something. I mean, it is fascinating to me that it is like the offense just literally hit a brick wall uh, whenever that happened. Well, I mean, Sometime during you, the week between Wake and Georgia Tech. Well, you do wonder whether or not that maybe something happened with Drake against Wake Forest. I mean, he did get get lit up at one point. Uh, a little bit and you know you saw I don't know if you saw it because you were at the game but uh, when he was warming up at halftime he threw a ball and then grimaced real good and then started holding his elbow mm. I do wonder uh, how healthy Drake May was the last three weeks uh, I do I, I have my I have some questions about that just in terms of how how he threw it in a, in, a, in a few cases, he missed some throws that, you know, you expect him to make. Uh, but, I mean, he, he missed some throws early in the year, too, that, you know, he, he made so many great throws that some of the misses you just kind of overlooked. But we talked about some of them here. But I do wonder a little bit about that. Uh, I don't think that's the answer, though. I mean, even if he was even if he's not completely uh, healthy, that's not the reason that that there have been some struggles. And, you know, again, it comes back to. A lot of it comes back to me to DNA of the pro of the program, where even when Carolina was was scoring a bunch in the red zone, they were not doing it by pounding teams. They were not doing it by uh, lining up and, and finding ways to to get the ball into the end zone, you know, in more traditional fashion. They did it because Drake May was Drake May, for the most part, and you know they won with. Uh, you know, throw, throwing the football into the end zone on, on a lot of that. What it, what it appeared to me happened over the last three weeks is Georgia Tech showed a template that was followed by NC State and Clemson with better personnel. And that template was, and I need to find the numbers here, uh, but that template was do not allow North Carolina to score from – outside the red zone <laughs> mm -hmm. so basically take away all of those big plays all of the over the top stuff all the stuff down the field and try to keep try to contain drake may's legs with you know some mush rust stuff don't try to get too uh upfield with your rushers make sure that that he's penned in a little bit so you can minimize his play with his legs and minimize the down the field stuff Force North Carolina to be patient, throwing it underneath, running the football, and then play red zone roulette. That's what they did. And in the red zone, they they were able to win out with you know better physicality and bracketing Josh Downs. <laughs> mm -hmm. So teams basically figured out. I mean, how many times in the first eight, seven, eight games, maybe nine games? How many times down in the red zone did we see Josh Downs just win a one-on-one? -on -one? Over and over and over again. How many times did we see Josh Downs in a one-on-one -on -one the last three weeks? I can't remember too many. I think, Maybe I can once. Think of two or three, but they were handed off. So, yeah. to me, what happened there was more. Uh, was more of an emphasis on don't give up play, don't give up plays over the top bracket Josh Downs and then force anybody else other than other than Drake May's legs or Josh Downs to beat you in the red zone and ultimately that Carolina didn't have other a whole lot of other answers there yeah I mean somebody in the chat and this is what we talked about pregame we thought Nesbitt would be big time Nesbitt had two targets 
Uh, Morales looked good. He got dinged on one of those plays early. But, yeah, I, I mean, Buck, that's what we've heard about forever is make a team beat you left-handed. Um, or, or, you know, your team is not your, – your bread and butter is not going to do it. Somebody's going to have to come up with some plain toast to beat us. And teams did it the last three weeks, and there was no other answer. That That is what's the – that's the thing that should be disconcerting is that there was no – nothing changed. Georgia Tech, State, Clemson, nobody had – there was no adjustment to this is what they're doing. We're not going to let this happen. Do something different, and it didn't happen. Somebody said, Ben, don't break and all that. Uh, that is the – teams were the definition of Ben, don't break against North Carolina in the last three weeks. Give them all you want between the 20s, lock them up inside the 20s. Buck, I'm going like- to go one more thing here because I just noticed something, one other thing in the numbers. All right. And it, and it goes with what my eyes have seen as well. And that is Caleb Hood got hurt against Pittsburgh. Through the Pittsburgh game, the only game that, that Carolina did not have success in the red zone was Miami. Now Miami was the only team other than Notre Dame that they played in the early, early part of the season that had, you know, dudes on the, on the defensive line, but that notwithstanding, they were, they scored five touchdowns and six opportunities against Pitt, five touchdowns and six opportunities against Duke. And then Virginia, well, it's Virginia, but they're, they're, they're actually pretty decent up front three on five opportunities, three touchdowns on five opportunities in the red zone against Virginia and then all of a sudden, the touchdown rate fell off. Wake Forest, Georgia Tech. Wake Forest is uh, five of eight. Georgia Tech, it was one of five. NC State, one, uh, three of seven. And then Clemson, one of five. I do wonder also, again, the impact of, of losing Caleb Hood, who had had some success in that middle, middle section. Uh, that, didn't, that didn't help. Uh, having not not being again not being able to run the football between the tackles with kind of with the success that they'd hoped for on this was a factor anyway yeah i mean injuries happen right they always speak next man up but let's let's sort of wrap this one to get try to get out of here look there's gonna be a lot of discussion this week and just so our listeners and watchers and there's a ton of y'all in here and i appreciate it and appreciate all the ones that were out um tailgating with us last night in charlotte a great time it was a fun time guys that was it, a fun time it was it was a blast if we could get the bowls lot like every week like that was last night um there would be no issues you know you got to play tetris to get your car in the parking lot shout out to mike tester for making all that happen uh at that place last night but what a great atmosphere but just in general we've been watching this a long time uh it just feels like North Carolina had a grand opportunity, and unfortunately, it was the same old, same old. And that, for me, is probably the thing that's the most – the thing that causes me the most issues watching this team is, like, we're on this rail. It's going where it's going to go. We're not going to do anything to change the the slide. Where where are you after an ACC championship game, after three straight losses, on a nine-win season? I think, uh, without question, um, you can't go into (coughs) – you're going to prepare for the bowl game. Obviously, that's got to happen. And how they go about that will be interesting to watch. But what's going to be more interesting is what they do starting in January. What's going to happen then? Because there's a lot of introspection that needs to happen after this game on the <coughs> by the players and the staff. Uh, hang on one second. <coughs> you got me choked up, uh, Tommy. Yeah, I know. Get get it together, Buck. <laughs> yeah, you got me choked up uh, thinking about this. Uh, so what they can't do is go into next season saying it's business as usual. We're just going to keep doing what we've been doing and hope for a better result. Because we all know that's the definition of insanity. Uh, they got to change some stuff. Um, 
one one point I wanted to make before we checked out of here is earlier in the early in the year, through the first five or six games, every week we talked about how blessed North Carolina was in the tight end room. Tight ends were killing it uh, through the first third half of the of the season. Bryson Nesbitt has not had a touchdown reception since the fifth game of the year. The, the entire second half of the season, he's been MIA as far as touchdown receptions. Morales the same way. He hasn't had a touchdown reception in the last six games. I don't know what happened to the tight ends in the red zone because that was their bread and butter in the early part of the season. Those guys were catching passes early on. Uh, I think Nesbitt had three and Morales had three. And I think Morales finished with four and Nesbitt finished with three. Somehow or another, they went away from throwing the ball to the tight end. I don't know why. I don't know how that happened. Uh, but that's, you know, uh, sort of a small anomaly uh, compared to the overall big picture stuff with North Carolina's football program. They need a change somewhere that's going to bring about the kinds of changes Jason's talked about as far as practice. Somehow or another, North Carolina's got to find a way to practice better, practice harder, build some physicality, build some toughness, because in games where that's been required, they've come up short. So we talking about practice, I, man. Yeah, we're talking about practice. We're, we're talking, talking about we're practice. Talking about a lot there. <laughs> but uh, that's where I'm at with this. Uh, if if what you're doing in practice is not building physicality and toughness, what are you doing it for, uh, basically? So, yeah, so I'm getting choked up about it. That's my comments. Hey, <laughs> you care. You, 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 you fought through it, the adversity of that cough drop and it saved you and you came up with the point jason this program's dna you've harped on it a lot we're going to talk about it a lot over the next weeks it's going to be i don't even know what to say about this week in college football in general north carolina specifically with what's coming down the line but how, how does one change program dna at least in one off season it's not possible totally but how does one do it I'm teeing, that, I'm teeing it up. <laughs> well, um, there are a few different ways. One is uh, to you know fully clean house in terms of your coaching staff. That that that's a that's a way. It's not necessarily the way that you ought to do it in this kind of case, um, but it's a way. Bottom line is. It comes from, and we've this is a word we've used a lot on this show over the over the last few years. It's accountability. It starts by building accountability, and you know you 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 do a lot of this in the off season in terms of your of your strength and conditioning program and all of that. And yeah, the the SNC head is is a, is a big part of that, as is the rest of the SNC staff. But how that's going to be done. And exactly what's required there is handed down from the head coach and handed down from the position coaches in terms of this is what we expect. Here's what we want to be done and so on to some degree. And then there's autonomy within those constraints for the S and C staff. And I think Carolina's S and C staff is pretty good actually. Um, but then it basically boils down to in the spring, Spring is where you build the physicality and in, in the fundamentals of your program. You've got to have a, a very physical spring. You've got, to, uh, you've got to have guys tackling to the ground. You've got to have uh, emphasis on inside run over and over and over again. Uh, those of you who are around for the Butch days will remember that. <laughs> so, you know, that's a part of it. And then the other thing, and this is, this is the part that I think gets more, more difficult is you have to have everybody in alignment in terms of vision for what you're going to be as a program 
as a complete team on both sides of the ball. And what that means is the offense can't just be about the offense and the defense can't just be about the defense. You have to have the two coordinators coordinated by the head coach to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know offensively, I know you don't run any too tight stuff. I know you don't put a tight end on the line of scrimmage. I, I know it's all H back stuff. And I, but you know what? We're going to install some of that stuff and we're going to run the heck out of it in practice right now, just because I want my offensive line and my defensive line and my linebackers and my, and, and, all, and all of these guys to, to learn how to play in the box and to play physical. And we're going to run those things so much per day. Even if ultimately that means we score, you know, four or five points fewer a game, that's fine. What matters is when we play against a team that's going to line up and be more physical with us, we got to be able to be ready. You got to do that stuff. So, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, it, it, and and there's, so I'm going to open up a little can of worms here for the off season. Rut row. <laughs> so, one thing that Mac Brown said when he took over is that he, after doing all his commentating stuff and all of that, he wanted to bring in an offense that looked basically, he wanted basically to bring in as close to Lincoln Riley's offensive approach as he could. Right. We all remember that. Let me ask you a question. How many good defenses has, have been on teams with Lincoln Riley as a head co- or as a head coach or as an offensive coordinator? How many times has there been a good defense opposite Lincoln Riley? Very few, if any. And keep in mind, Lincoln Riley was a really good offensive coordinator under Bob Stoops at Oklahoma, where when he went out there, they were known for what? Defense. Defense. Now, he got out there, and within three or four years, they were scoring 50 a game but they couldn't stop anybody. All right. And then what did we just see in the, in the PAC 12 title game? What happened in the PAC 12 title game for those? I mean, I'm sure you guys watched it or at least mm-hmm. part of it. What happened? Got whipped physically. They got manhandled in terms of the physical part of the football game. Now look, some of that is that first year out at USC. And, and I do think, Lincoln Riley is going to get some things figured out there. They're going to recruit insane talent. They're going to put up numbers. They're, they're going to be a playoff team, you know, before too long. So this is not a criticism of Lincoln Riley overall as a coach, but I'm just look at that result. When it came, when push came to shove in championship weekend, Utah went out, went, went out there and ran over those boys. You know, I'm, I'm just check in for a second that probably the average age of a Utah lineman is like 28. (laughs) (laughs) It's a factor. Yeah, it's a factor. But, but, but keep in mind, Utah got physically stalemated at, at least stalemated by Florida in their first, in their, in their game one loss against Florida. When it came time to win the line of scrimmage, Florida handled that Utah team. But Florida a little bit different brand of football from Dan Mullen and, and Napier. They're going to, they're going to play physical football. That's what Florida has done the last few years. They've got their own problems down there, but they handled Utah and that physicality there. Now, and of course, USC, you know, lost to Utah what 43, 42 earlier in the year. So, I mean, that it doesn't always go that way, but, but again, what you're not seeing is Southern Cal stopping Utah. Mm-hmm. right so ryan day takes over at ohio state right and he runs a similar offense to what they're running lincoln riley phil longo some similarities there too what's happened with ohio state's defense since ryan day took over it hasn't gone down quite downhill quite as precipitously as, uh, say, USC. No, but um, it, it's showing signs of wear at this point. You They're know, not the, a top five defense. I mean, no. and, and and they and, and, and that they Ohio were State, at one time. Yeah, that Ohio State defense, that Ohio State team. I think that Ohio State team is the most talented team in the country. I think they're more talented than Georgia. 
more talented than Georgia. But Georgia, in terms of their defensive culture, is totally different. So the reason what the reason I say this is opening up a little bit of a can of, you know, for, for off-season discussion, a, a can of worms is a lot of these things are going to get blamed on the defense and on the defensive staff. This is the second coordinator, the different coaches. Now you got three of the same position coaches and we can have some off-season conversations about whether or not those, those three coaches that were retained uh, are, you know, have, have managed their, their positions perfectly. But I, I just wonder we, if you're talking about building your program DNA and you're talking about, about changing the way you do things and all of that, how much of that boils down to what, what systems you decide to run and how that builds the physic, how that naturally builds the physicality or the, the kind of nature of your program. And, you know, the same thing could be said about, about Larry Fedora. Do you think North Carolina was ever going to field a, say top 20 top 20 top 15 defense under larry fedora yeah that wasn't gonna happen it wasn't because first of all because larry wasn't interested in it <laughs> his his focus was we're gonna outscore teams the, the difference though jason is that north carolina has recruited so well on that side of the ball yep. i i was in a position where i could see the team very well on the sideline uh, last night and you got KBJ standing over there, Keyshawn Silver, Travis Shaw, Ritzy, Colby Colden, Ritzy, Murphy, on and on and on. And those are some, ex- and they look good too. I mean, KBJ looks good. <laughs> he's, he's not nearly uh, as at one point, you we could have called him really out of shape and so on and so forth. And Not he still has he a, looked good. He looked good out there last night. Uh, there's a lot of uh, – so much talent on that defense. Where is it gone? You know, where, where – how, how are we not blending that talent together to put a solid defensive product on the field? Well, again, again, this gets again. back to the DNA thing. And and to me, so with Larry, you're, you you didn't even have those players on campus. You didn't have those players. That's the difference I was yeah. pointing out. Yeah, yeah. And now what – what? but you but you got similar results. I mean, that <laughs> the, the this year's defense was not a whole lot better than some of the bad defenses yes. in Fedora's era. Yeah, almost 2014 bad. Yeah, I mean, it was it was in the same, in the same breath. And so my take on this has been that as far as I can tell, and you know, there may be some folks really mad with mad at me in the in the in the Carolina football facility for saying this, but at the end of the day, I got to call it like I see it. And my impression has been that Mac Brown came in and essentially made the decision: we're going to run, we're going we're, we're going to recruit top-level talent on defense. And then we're going to have a prolific offensive system. And you combine that, and the talent will take care of things on defense. And we're going to score points, and there's your championship formula. So essentially, the idea has been, if you just get those dudes out there on the field and you turn them loose, that's going to take care of everything. If you get enough Ritzies, Silvers, Shaw, you know, you get Ritzy Silver, Shaw, uh, Bingley Jones, Murphy. Cohen is Col- as big as any of them. Yeah, he's as big as any of them. Yeah, you there. get you get all of those guys out there, and you just turn them loose, and they're gonna, and, you know, that's gonna be enough. That it's just about having the players on defense, and then offensively, you've got to have you know your quarterback, and then a good system, and you're good, to, and you're good to go. But. You know, we've we've talked in the past about one of the benefits that I've had of covering multiple teams. <laughs> I've seen teams with top five talent just completely 
crap the bed over and over and over again and have bad team culture and have defenses that top five, six talent in terms of what you brought on campus recruiting wise, but can't, can't field a top 40 defense. Why? Well, look at the systems in place. Hmm. Having talent is a, having that kind of talent, having the kind of talent you're pointing to buck is a sine qua non. It's a, you know, it's a threshold thing. You know, you, you have to have it. You, you're not going to win at a championship level without it, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a necessary, but not a sufficient cause. You have to have it, but it's, but without the other pieces in place, in terms of the structure of how you practice and what you're doing to make sure that those guys are prepared and developed. And that comes from, I think, having a little bit more balance in terms of what you're doing offensively in practice as well to give those guys a look and to make those guys develop in certain ways. It's not going to be enough. And that's where Carolina is right now. So I just put, I just opened a big can of worms for the off season, but that's my impression is that they've basically taken the approach of let's get these guys on campus. Let's make sure that they, that we don't chase them off once they're here. And once you have the all bus team getting off that bus, they'll take care of business once we turn them loose on the field. And the fact is it doesn't work that way. You have to have, you have to have it necessary, but it's not sufficient. They've got to figure out that other part now. If it was just a talent thing, Miami would win multiple national championships. Look at Texas A&M this year. And te- yeah, absolutely. Uh, I Look mean, at Florida State during Taggart. My goodness. I mean, and and that's to your point. That's the thing. It's just like, got to recruit better. We got to recruit better. Um, yeah, it doesn't work. The best, if the most talented person won all the time, it just doesn't happen. Buck, last words. I'm ready to get out of here. Jacoba Criswell announced he is transferring via Twitter. I shared the link. Folks are seeing it on the message boards as well. First shoe to drop. Um, not unsurprising, though. That guy's been so classy all year. I, I, know. I wish him yeah. the best going forward. I do, too. Tommy, and, how about he this? Hasn't say, he hasn't said one negative thing about anything um, at his, his time at Carolina. Just a great teammate there. Go ahead, Buck. Why don't – for a change, why don't you take us out of here? How about that? <laughs> Man, you... go ahead, wrap it up. Give us some of your final thought. No, I just think take us out of here. I just here's my thing. We've heard all along that it's a talent issue. Jason just nailed why it's not a talent issue. We've heard all along that the fan base needs to step up. We've heard all along that um if we just do this, if this happens, if we do that. Everything's going to be all right. And then for the last three weeks, we've heard this team won, has won nine games and they're playing in the ACC championship. You guys ought to like that. That's everybody. You know, that's what everybody says. That, that ought to be enough. And quite frankly, they're an eight-win team. But here's, here's what's disappointing. It's time for the people, you know, it's time for the people that have control of all these things that you and Jason have talked about to do something about it instead of being satisfied with being just good enough. That's the thing. Clemson came out there and nothing to play for in their thing and whipped Carolina. And they did it doing what they've done all year. The trenches are brutal. The physicality is brutal. All the things that define football for North Carolina have been brutal lately, and all the flashes have been there. But you and I have followed it a long time. I've seen that game that we saw last night over and over and over again. And if you want people to continue to support it and support this NIL stuff and all, then you, the adults in the room, have to step up and do it because it's not on the kids, I don't think. I mean, I may be wrong, but there's a good chance that 20 or 25 or whatever four stars weren't all misevaluated. You don't have five, six guys that are that are blue chip defensive linemen all underperforming and then blame those guys. Yeah. You just don't. It's not talent. It'd be interesting. The next few weeks for North Carolina football are going to be interesting. I, I, you know, 
I hope for the players' sake they don't go to the Holiday Bowl because if they go to the Holiday Bowl, they're going to play in front of crickets and tumbleweeds out there because the fan base is worn out from seeing the same thing over and over again for this North Carolina team. Um, they go to the Gator Bowl. Some people can drive down there. Either way, it's another opportunity to play. But I guess we got one more day after podcast at some point later in December or in January, whenever the whenever those two bowls are. Jason, it's always a pleasure. We got a ton more to talk about, but we're getting out of here now. It's 9.05 Sunday morning. Shout out to the 300-plus folks that have come to join us. It's been the day after. Carolina roughed up and run out by the tar by the Tigers. But Jason, I appreciate it. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Jason. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.